1: Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist, with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Alice Bell about her crime novel, Grave Expectations. Alice grew up in South West England, and she now lives in Cork, Ireland. In 2018, Alice became the deputy editor of Rock Paper Shotgun, a popular PC gaming website. And in 2019, She was named one of the 100 most influential women in the UK games industry. In this episode, we discuss how she created her crime-solving duo of a medium and a teenage ghost, how Alice works out who done it and why, then works backwards, and why, now that she's published, bookshops have become a place of fear. But first, here's Alice with an excerpt from Grave Expectations.
0: "'You don't look like a medium,' said Alex, passing the joint again. Emboldened by the positive reception, Claire took a healthier pull this time and spent a few moments looking up at the sky. It had become a very clear night, and this far from a city she could see all the stars scattered everywhere, like broken glass in a pub car park. "'I don't know,' she said after a bit. "'What a mediums supposed to look like?' "'Yeah, all right, fair enough.' Do you have a, and whatchamacallit, a spirit guide?' "'Yep, I do.' Basha snorted at this. "'I do, though,' Claire protested. "'Yes,' Basha said. "'I expect he's some Native American chieftain "'or a poor Victorian shoeshine boy.' "'No, actually,' said Claire, "'who was feeling the effects of what was really very good quality weed. Uh, ah, now I don't know if I should tell you.' "'You know you have to now,' cried Alex.' Yeah, go on, it'll freak him out, said Sophie. Okay, okay, she's a girl, in fact. Ah, uh, yes, said Basha, with long, dark hair, and she's going to crawl out of the TV. That's a whole other thing, that's a movie, that's not real. Duh, Claire replied. Of course, I apologise. So what is your ghost's tragic backstory? A Georgian waif who died at Christmas, a poor misfortunate who pined to death in the 50s. ''Don't be boring, Uncle B,'' said Alex. ''You sound like Dad when you get all smug.'' ''She's not a Victorian waif,'' said Clare, who was starting to get a bit annoyed by Basha, and was keen to prove him wrong. ''She's from the noughties. She died when she was seventeen. ''Ah, uh, very convenient,'' said Basha. ''No historical research required with a ghost from your own generation.'' ''Well, joke's on you, because I studied history, so if I wanted to make up a period-accurate ghost, I could, but I don't need to,'' said Claire. She was trying to freak them out a bit, but it wasn't really working. Sophie rolled her eyes. Claire looked up at the diamond sky again and started laughing. It's funny. She's not anything. She's just normal, really. I'm not weirdo, said Sophie. I'm exceptional. She's annoying, Claire corrected. She looked over the flames at her friend, bright-eyed and smirking, standing in the clothes she had been murdered in. Her name's Sophie, and she's been eavesdropping on you for, like, half an hour already.'
1: Hi Alice, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel, Grave Expectations. Thank you so much for having me. I
0: love a podcast. I'm excited to be here. Happy to chat.
1: (laughs) So can you start by telling us what Grave Expectations is about?
0: Yes, I will try my best because I always struggle. I start to basically do the plot of the whole book and then I go, oh no, (laughs) I want you to read it um so grave expectations is about a very reluctant medium called claire who uh is employed she's sort of like a a kind of freelance medium struggling to get work she's not a very good medium because she can actually see ghosts but she's not great at doing the whole uh pomp and circumstance of it so she goes to uh crumbling old English home manor, and she meets the ghost of a recent murder victim but she can't tell who it is or why they were murdered or kind of even when but uh, with the help of two of the least objectionable members of the the Wellington Forge family who live in the the mansion and the extra help of her best friend Sophie who is herself a ghost and has been stuck as a 17 year old for the last 30 odd years um they figure out who done it and why and who they done it to
1: and I I loved the idea of Sophie being a ghost I just thought (laughs) such a great idea I wondered actually when I was reading it I was like was there a temptation for you to kind of Leave Sophie's ghostness, uh, you know, do it like a a Bruce Willis in Sixth Sense, or did you know? Were you you were always gonna reveal it like quite early on? Do you know? I I
0: thought about it. I think because the longer you can leave something before a payoff, kind of the more of a whammo it is, isn't it? But uh, I thought I don't think I'm really good enough done it. for as as long and do you know? Because it's revealed at the end of the first chapter. Um, and I sort of I was hoping there'd be a way to not mention it on the the, you know on the back of the book almost so that people don't know but um, it is kind of uh, the USP of the book almost if we can talk about art having a USP but um, uh, it I think it is important to me because I I do want it to, to be a thing that she you knows she's always been seventeen because it, it's a I've said before it's a deeply unserious book, Great Expectation. but I have thought quite a lot about the theming of it in a way, and so um, you know, Claire is a millennial, and the millennial condition is to always be thought of as a child, you know, as as a whiny teenager, and um, it, despite the fact that you know depending on where you put the the barriers, like millennials have mortgages and they're pushing 40 and, you know, and so Sophie, because she died when she was 17, is a millennial who is literally always stuck as a teenager, you know, and that's sort of representing, you know, that stopped Claire developing a bit as well. So I don't think I would have loved to manage it, but and I, I did think about it,
1: but I don't think I could really have gotten away with it. I'd
0: have yeah. forgotten I'd have forgotten
1: it oh she walked through a wall oh, ah yeah. <laughs> yeah you would have had uh, readers like scratching their head being like how is this logical for a person mm. um I I didn't read the back of the book so it was a nice surprise for me anyway <laughs> but I actually I agree with you like it's a perfect hook I mean that's like you were saying about you know aren't having usp we all unfortunately kind of have to think about mm. that aspect of it because you know how is your book going to stand out you need something that's a bit different but that aspect in your novel was so much fun like i really enjoyed sophie and, and sophie and claire's dynamic tell us a little bit more about claire then she's described in the book as a but well, what described uh, in the blurb as a burnt out millennial medium how did you kind of like develop her character like where did she start did the book start with her or did you um did she come from the kind of writing process
0: so I I yeah she developed as part of the writing process because I I sort of thought about when I was coming up with the idea for the book I wanted to do a sort of detective and psychic that were you know a live person and ghost um, like a Randall and Hopkirk deceased sort of a thing um and uh I wanted as well to have a detective who wasn't competent (laughs) like because I do I love all kinds of detective fiction um but I been on a tear when I was writing the book of reading, you know, it was always those like male detectives who are brilliant but troubled and they, they were married once but their marriage broke down because they're an alcoholic. And they, you um, know. yeah, I was going to
1: say they always have a drinking problem and it's yeah. always like they're coming back to do that one last job and then they yeah get into staying forever. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I wanted someone who was, um, who sort of thought like they could solve a murder because they watched a lot of like TV. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> I think that's that's at least speaking for myself you know that's kind of how I feel (laughs) I've watched every episode of Criminal Minds (laughs) I I can catch a serial killer but um but in practice obviously would not be able to do it that easily and so I was thinking about well it can't can't be a you know a police detective so what sort of person if you could see a ghost how would that affect your life and if you could see all ghosts because Claire can see all dead people uh and it it's wildly inconvenient for her and it makes her, you know, it's difficult for her to have and keep friends cause she's a bit weird. And like, if you don't believe in ghosts, she's just always talking to thin air. And also if, if you don't believe in ghosts, then it seems like she's, you know, making stuff up. So she has sort of settled into the path of least resistance, which is being a, a medium for hire but she's also not very good at it because she doesn't dress all mysteriously and she doesn't wear a lot of, you know, dark eyeliner and she's just sort of a bit rubbish. You know? <laughs> uh, and so she's not making a lot of money and she's, you know, struggling to get work and she's just tired all the time. And, um, you know, she's tried working with the police before and that's not what turned out very well. So it was, yeah, working backwards from the idea of if you could see ghosts and there was one next to you all the time, in what ways would that affect how you had to live your life
1: you know mm. so I'm wondering then where did the kind of idea of this novel began I think I'm right in saying it was a like a bit of a, like a lockdown fun project for mm. you. so where did it where did you always have this kind of idea that you wanted to write this book or did it come as a surprise to you that you just started writing it where, tell us about the kind of the initial moment where you started writing
0: mm. it it was yeah it was a lockdown baby and um, and I, like everyone who studied English at university, I've always been a struggling novelist. I have not been published or finished a book. So this is the first book that I, I've finished. I've written projects that I've nearly finished and I, I'm a writer in my day job. Um, I'm like a pop culture video game journalist. So um, this was, yeah, while we were all trapped inside, I was reading a lot of detective fiction and I was reading a lot of, um, you know, indie detective fiction. And I just thought it would be fun to kind of because I like writing to just do like a fun project that I didn't have any pressure on it. I was never intending to finish it or send it off. Um, And because I didn't put that kind of pressure on myself, um, I was sort of I I did finish it because I wasn't worrying about it. You know, I was just having fun with it. But I was sort of almost perversely. I was like looking at all the stuff I'd been reading and, and I I. Had been reading a lot of like horrible serial killer which also i love like i i'm you know it's a broad church crime fiction i like all of it but a lot of horrible serial killers that you know kidnap women and staple their tongues to their foreheads and all that kind of stuff um so i wanted something that wasn't that grim that was a bit fun and was funny in the way that real life is funny and um and i was like okay what so what combination of like what detective team can i put together that is like representative of what I find cozy and you know my life but also is sort of yeah perversely uh unlike all the stuff I've read at the moment so what's the what's the opposite of like yeah the the alcoholic troubled but brilliant maverick detective and his you know faithful Watson and yeah so I've got a bit of a ragtag bunch of a dead teenager in the medium and a, an artist and a, a depressed ex-cop so <laughs>
1: Did you have in your mind, I want to write a crime book or I want to write something funny? I know obviously you were inspired by detective fiction, but did you go, did you, I'm I'm wondering whether, I'm I'm guessing you didn't kind of take it like seriously as in this is a serious crime book, but took it as a, this is going to be exactly what I feel like writing and what I would love to read. So did you just, um, what I'm trying to say is, are you naturally funny, funny, Alice, I did work (laughs) at it?
0: Oh, uh, it's awful to say like, yeah, I think I am hilarious. hilarious yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was very much a case of, yeah, I I wanted to write what I wanted to read. And because I have been reading all this grim, you know, serious um stuff, I wanted something a bit lighter. But I'd there is a lot of great um Cozy Crime, I always shout out Mia P. Mananzala, she's written some really nice modern Cozy Crime that isn't sort of twee, but I've been reading a lot of the twee stuff. So I wanted something a bit, let's <laughs> so say edgier, but like Grave Expectations is very kind of sweary and there's a lot of like falling over and getting stuff wrong and kicking things. And um, uh, But I do, because I work writing about video games, um, you kind of, I kind of have to have fun and make jokes and stuff in my day job anyway. And um, so I think there's, I would struggle to write something that was entirely serious, I think, which I would like to try one day. But um, yeah, like I said, I think I, I wouldn't, I didn't want to write a parody, but real life is funny all the time. You know, stupid stuff happens to everyone. And I just sort of wanted it to be a bit like that.
1: Mm mm-hmm. Particularly, your dialogue is great. I mean, that is like where a lot of the humor comes into it. Is that something? I mean, there's such a rhythm to it. Did you, do you feel like your dialogue is something that kind of comes quite easy to you, or do you have to kind of work at it? Kind of, I don't know, workshop it, read it aloud. What, what do you do to kind of get the dialogue right?
0: It's all of a bit of both, actually, because I do. Uh, when I'm writing dialogue, I try and think of how people talk in real so I'm less concerned with being absolutely correct in terms of the grammar or um the the use of words. You know, I like I think a lot of times in the book I'll use word like people will say watch Macaulay or you know that thing because maybe they won't know, you know, real people won't necessarily know what a specific thing is and they'll use words like that. And I think you can tell Um, when, if you hear something in a film or on a TV show, you can just sort of tell if it's not something a person would say in real life, you know? Um, But at the same time, I also, like, every time I've edited and gone back through, I've tweaked the dialogue a little bit. One thing that I did consciously do was um, someone, I will try and find it and send the link to you, but I read a long time ago, I read a blog about Kevin Smith's films and his dialogue. And it's basically demonstrating that every character in the Kevin Smith film talks the same, like none of them have their own idiosyncrasies. So it, like, I, this blog post was saying, it, it, it's good if you can take away the dialogue tags and the markers that say like, you know, Claire said and Basha said, and you can still tell that it's how many people are having the conversation. Um, so the characters do all have, if you bother to pay attention and read really closely, they do all have little little things that they all do. So Sophie is the most obvious. She says, "She says, oh, my God, and um, LOL, because uh, she's a teenager. Um, Claire says, she says, she does a lot of puts. She says, um, uh, um, a lot, except when she's talking to Sophie. Um, I just said, um, bash <laughs> Basha doesn't use contractions very much at all uh, and Alex who's the other, she, Alex is uh, their Zoomer um, they ask rhetorical questions quite a lot, things like that so there are little, and that helps me writing it as well because I know, you know, it gets you in the sort of zone of that character a bit mm-hmm. I find myself
1: Yeah, that's that's such great advice I mean, I've heard the thing about taking away the dialogue tags before and certainly I've read um, books or um text before where you 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 cannot tell who is talking yeah and, you know i i it's a hard thing dialogue's difficult but um yeah i think if you in their heads your character starts down the same then that's when you know you're in trouble yeah
0: I I don't think you need to do it I wouldn't suggest going overboard and doing it with like yeah. every incident like if they go and buy an ice cream the ice cream character doesn't have to have some kind of peculiar verbal you know habit or anything but I think it does help if your your main characters have like a some distinction between them
1: mm. especially when I mean particularly in your book you've got a lot of group scenes so I think you need mm. that distinction as well tell us then a little bit more about um some of your other characters I mean um, who was your favorite to write, and why i
0: I do like writing Sophie because uh she's quite mean, so it's quite fun to insult people, and nobody can hear her except Claire, so she can be mean with impunity um My favorite though is probably so I've said before like the self insert character is Basher, who's the um the depressed ex cop who reads a lot and uh, you know, it, he's, yeah, he's more of the obvious self-insert for me, I think. Um, but my favourite to write um, is probably Alex, who's the fourth member of the little Scooby gang. Um, and they are uh, they're 19 and they're very confident and self-assured and they're really fat fur- and they'll attack anything. They'll do anything, they'll have a go at anything. Uh, and that's so kind of unlike me (laughs) it's just really kind of fun and freeing to write that sort of person um I suppose the other one as well that I really liked writing was uh Hugh who is the patriarch of the posh family and he's just a quite a fun character of a, of a, a big posh weirdo
1: I always think the characters that are probably most fun to write are the ones that are so far removed from, mm. from you I mean I know you said you enjoy kind of writing Basha Basha's slightly like you in your mind um but I think you know I think the characters where you have to you get to play around a bit more and be so yeah. I mean that's that's the joy of writing is just I mean I've always said that my favorite character to write in my book is like the most villainous character because he's so despicable I, I love writing him like yeah not me you know yeah great and you can really push it you know you can push it in the well like you were saying with with Alex's dialogue they're kind of sarky and 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 a little bit you know spiky and cynical sometimes Mm. and that's fun to write like with Sophie the being mean thing is fun because you have that freedom to be like well Sophie would say this that's fine yeah yeah
0: exactly (laughs) yeah yeah and I think you know it's there is sometimes uh you see sometimes that readers sort of think that when you write a bad character you're endorsing everything they do or even a good character like good characters can do bad things and have flaws and stuff you know the quote-unquote hero of your book can do bad things and that I think that's all just uh you know it's the rich tapestry of life isn't it and it's fun being able to explore all that as a writer.
1: Yeah. and it's
0: not necessarily like an endorsement that you should <laughs> die and be a mean teenage ghost. <laughs>
1: So I always have this image in my mind and particularly when I'm reading novels that are crime novels that have to have you know twists and red herrings and things I have this image of writers who write crime as being very thorough and having all these amazing plots and charts and you know and then I speak to a lot of crime writers and they're like nope that's not me (laughs) Um, I have (laughs) no plan. So Alice are you a, a chart person a plan person what's your kind of you know, what's your method for plotting, or do you not plot?
0: I, I plot a bit, so I know who done it and and why, and then I sort of work backwards from that, and then plot kind of red herrings and and other clues and stuff around that. Um, and I have I tend to have key scenes that I then sort of improv my way to, like stepping stones, you know, for finishing the book. Um, I. Do then afterwards, I'll read the draft and then I'll go through and I'll make quite a. I'll draw out by hand, like on graph paper, a checkbox tick list of stuff that I need to go back and add. And I I find it very satisfying ticking all those off, in in order. But I am not very organised at all, at (laughs) all, at all.
1: (laughs) Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. And do you do you write chronologically, or I mean, I'm guessing if you're going back and adding things, you can kind of almost do it like a backwards edit. But do you do you write scenes, you know, that you want to write and you enjoy, you know, you can you kind of think in your head, this is gonna be a fun scene to write, or write this, or do you sit there and go, I'm gonna write chapter one, chapter two in order. How do you, how do you kind of work all that out?
0: I I have to do it in order because that's the only way that my brain can sort of process it and I think also if I just did the scenes I was looking forward to I would not write any of the other bit. like I have to I have to eat my broccoli before I can kind have the chocolate cake, you know so I write a first draft um and then then go back and sort of not even like working backwards really I write a first draft look at it, work backwards in terms of like what I need to add and then go through it from start to finish in order again if that makes sense mm-hmm. but I have to do it chronologically because my brain could not
1: handle it if I was jumping around <laughs>
0: I just lose track of every single thing yeah I
1: do you know what I've always said the same and I I think it's because I'm like in my head how can I know what the character is feeling if I'm writing uh something in chapter seven when I haven't written chapter three yet but then actually recently I have been kind of trying to write more like by whim and that that is actually more fun so even though maybe it's not the I don't know I think I, it's sometimes I think you've got to have a go with both sometimes but yeah tell us a little bit more about your kind of general writing routine and what are the things that you really love writing about or not, like you know what do you enjoy the kind of idea stage do you uh do you hate that stage do you hate writing I don't know descriptive <laughs> scenes what are you, what are your kind of loves and hates of, of writing
0: I love the idea stage
1: because everything is perfect
0: at the idea stage (laughs) because it's not like the idea stage does not survive contact with air you know (laughs) the idea stage is great everything is amazing it's brilliant you have all these amazing it's all fizzing it's going to be perfect Um, and then we have to pin it down on on paper then it sort of dissolves a little bit and all the kind of practicalities of it come in So the idea stage is absolutely my favorite stage of writing. Um, The most difficult bit for me is because I have to go in order. If I get stuck on like a a state, it's usually when I know, okay, so they're in the kitchen now and they're having this conversation about this and and I need to transition them so that, you know, she has a reason, Clara's a reason to be upstairs talking to this other person and it's getting from from a to b is mm. usually that sort of transition where i get stuck and because i have to go in order i can bash be bashing my head against that for a long time mm. <laughs> it's pretty really kind of uh disheartening sometimes because i also because i have a job like a nine to five i write in the evenings and some and I forget sometimes that like the first draft doesn't have to be great, you just need to like she can just for this for this first draft you can just write she went upstairs for some reason you know <laughs> and, and then go back and fix it later but sometimes I really struggle with that so the yeah not even writer's block really just sort of running up against myself <laughs> really struggle with. The
1: only the only issue you have when you do that is then when you go come back to it then you go you know, you look at the brackets that say, put in a reason here for Claire, <laughs> And then you end up hating your former self for leaving those notes because are like, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. But currently I am the former
0: self. So anything I don't do is future Alice's problem. Yeah. She's a whole different person.
1: <laughs> yeah, you don't care about her. Exactly. <laughs> so tell us how you came to get your agent and book deal then because obviously you said this was just like a fun project you were doing in your spare time and um you didn't really necessarily have an intention to send it out but then what was the what was the point that you decided yeah this has got potential and how did you go about it
0: I think it was the point when I looked around and I I was like I finished it and it's you know 85,000 words long I would accidentally written the whole book you know um and then I thought well I've I didn't intend to finish it or send it out so in a way I've lost nothing uh, if I send it out and no one cares you know um and it was but then of course it was immediately very uh, fraught <laughs> uh, so I basically had finished it um and then so I sent it to um some beef readers like my editor from work who I trust to tell me when my writing is rubbish <laughs> and um some other friends and then did a couple more drafts uh polished up uh the first 50 pages which is what they always ask for and just sent it off from for of places um and i i got a lot of rejections i got a couple of of requests but mostly rejections as everyone does um uh but then uh Got Yeah, I got a request from um, Steve Finnegan at Zeno Agency and she was immediately, you know, really got it and was on board and it was a good fit as an agency because they're a bit, you know, bit genre-y and mine's a bit genre-y and, you know, it's a tough one to pigeonhole. Um, but it's really, it's, it's, it's really tough. <laughs> like, the worst bit for me, I think, was submission to agents because you can't, you're waiting, you know, and you can't, do anything and you're waiting in a different way to when you're waiting when you're out on sub to uh, publishers um so that was a tough one but i i i was lucky i think in that the rejections i got were sort of encouraging <laughs> rejections you know
1: um
0: and i was also very lucky in that i didn't have to redraft it but it was just a lot of hitting send and hope you know
1: Mm. what can you remember the kind of time scale of you know the point where you'd said i'm finished you sent it to three. readers when you kind of started sending it out to them when you've uh, when you signed with your agent was it quite a big gap
0: i've gotta i'm i've written it down in notes on my (laughs) so i i was out i was on query at the end of january 2021 um and i went out on Sub at the end of 2021 so i i haven't written down when i got picked up by my agency and i haven't written down when i finished the book which is not helpful um <laughs> i think i think it was about um i want to say like eight months or something to mm. to get an agent um which again is super lucky and i think one thing i would say is that again like my my journey to being a published author has included like a decade of being a writer already, albeit in a different form. And I have so much respect for people who just, you know, they want to write a book and they write a book and they haven't worked writing anywhere else and they haven't been edited before and they just do this whole thing. Um, it's such a difficult process for anyone. Um, uh, and I'm just very lucky. To have had a bit of sort of experience, kind of adjacently, anyway. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Yeah, and and the reason I ask about the sort of timings, I think, is because again, a it varies. B, when you enter into that moment of querying, I mean, I speak as someone who didn't do it, so I can't speak from experience. But from from what I've heard, you know, it could be it could be days, it could be weeks, mm. it could be months, um, and there really is no, you know definite way of of getting yeah. an agent. and i think i think i mean i kind of find that slightly reassuring in a weird way because i think if it was that thing of well if you haven't heard within three weeks your dream is over like mm. i don't you know that isn't the case i i spoke to someone whose um query went in an agent spam folder and they only they only discovered it when the agent went and looked at their spam, so That's amazing. You know, yeah, so it can be you know it can be really weird circumstances mm. like that that end up giving you the agent, and then, of course, after you've got the agent, you then have to go and sub, yeah, which for me was the worst part. um how, <laughs> how was your kind of what was that like for you because your book sold in the states as well, so which yeah, which deal came first? was it the UK one or the states? It was actually the book deal that came first. Oh, wow, I okay. think. I've never yeah. heard that before. I think. I'm not
0: entirely sure of the timing of it, but I did, it was. Um, oh, do you know what? It might not have been. I think it was, the audiobook was like a couple of days after, but it was a preempt, um, mm. which was exciting because I had no idea how this, I thought it worked how um, freelance pitching works. Um, in in my world which is that as a freelancer you'll have an idea for an article and you'll send it to uh an, an editor on a website and they'll read it and they'll say uh oh yes please i would like to commission this or no thank you um and then if they say no thank you then you take it to a different person so i thought that was kind of how it worked i thought that like stevie would go to penguin and be like hey penguin. and then they'd say no so she worked down the list so i didn't realize it was you just send it to everyone and then try and initiate sort of a a bidding war I guess so I was really surprised by that Um, and it was yeah it was exciting to get a preempt um, from uh, Corvus which is a crime imprint of Atlantic so that's the UK deal went first um, and that was quite uh, it was was quite frantic because I was at work and Stevie was like calling me and stuff Um, and then because of that deal um, it was easier to kind of um get a deal to match it in the us in the us it's um not which is a prh subsidiary. words are hard to say um and uh but that's paperback only so it's a bit of a different um situation to the uk deal which is back and then paperback and the whole thing um but one of the the other thing that i didn't expect i would have to do is Stevie got me to write up synopses for like five ideas, you know, for sequels in, in a series, and they got sent up as well. So the first deal was a, a two-book deal. So I've yeah, I've been doing the sequel. Um and it's all just new stuff that you know, like nobody tells you how this works until it's happening. And I one of the things that I've been doing sort of along the way is just I just email Stevie all the time and say, like, is this good? I don't know if it's good. <laughs> what what does this mean? <laughs> Is this how yeah.
1: this normally works? My one bit of advice for anyone who is going on sub would be have some other ideas in your head because you're bound to be asked, like, what's your next mm. book going to be? And don't have the answer like I had, which was I have no clue. And now I have 15 minutes to kind of come up with <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some other novel ideas. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's I mean, there's that is the one single way to evaporate any creativity in your brain. So don't mm. do that. yeah
0: I think important as well is that like it does feel like you have to take whatever deals off to you or whatever agent is is talking to you because you sort of feel like oh I might not get another chance but in the meetings you have with because you know there are horror stories of people that um sign on to different publishers and have terrible experiences or agents and have terrible experiences and you it I think it's important to treat the meetings you have with prospective agents or publishers as like that's a chance for you to sort of ask them you know where do they see themselves you know pitching this book if you're talking to an agent like what where would you you know sub what would be good publishers? do you think um you can ask publishers how they would market the book, where they would see it on the shelf um that sort of thing because you also want to be somewhere where your book will be a good fit and be valued um mm. so it's it you can you can sort of take control for part of that meeting as well you know
1: yeah it's always a weird dynamic isn't it because it almost feels like i mean it, sometimes it feels like your agent is your boss and then actually mm. just after that you know like they're there to be your biggest champion yeah I mean I'm in the meetings with my editor and um, also my agent where you know they're they're almost pitching to you it's a very very
0: weird thing Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah I think it's easy to forget that like you're the moneymaker Mm. maybe you're the you're the golden goose right <laughs> they, yeah. they you need you need to be with people that want you to be a success mm. otherwise what's the point right
1: yeah definitely so one of the things I would love to talk to you about is that Great Expectations was picked as a BBC Radio 2 book club choice mm. and you I, I mean I've seen you now BFFs with Zoe Ball so uh, <laughs> what's about your experience doing that well that was I was
0: so blown away to be part of that, it was really amazing. And I was so excited and humbled and flattered. And it's, I really love the association that the Radio 2 Book Club has with libraries as well. Um, so that was surreal. Um, so I we went to Wogan House, um, which is near the broadcasting house in, in London and uh, recorded, yeah, just a 20 minute chat with Zoe Ball, who is the nicest person, by the way, genuinely lovely really loved. like as soon as I came in she get, gave me a big hug and then started asking me about where I got my tattoos done because she wanted to get tattoos sort of in a similar style and things which was so lovely um but it's that's been the most surreal thing I think is yeah Zoe Ball asking you to sign a copy of your Zoe Ball asking you to sign something you know <laughs> <laughs> um but that was really good oh and there, there's uh weirdly there's just like a giant grand piano in the green room at the the broad, the Wogan house for the BBC Radio, and I was like, "What? Why is there a sign at that piano?" And my publisher had to be like, "Oh, this is the they call this the piano room. That's Elton John's piano, and sometimes they'll get people to come and play music on the piano. And for that, then they just draw the curtains around so that you can't see. There's an espresso machine behind the piano." <laughs>
1: So the magic was gone at that point. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Seen behind, literally seen behind the curtain. Yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) So obviously that was an incredible experience for you and and probably one of your biggest highlights of of being Mm. published. But I wondered how the kind of general publishing experience has been for you. Um, We often hear about kind of like ups and downs and and difficult moments. What do you think has been um, sort of, challenging for you or even surprising for you that you weren't expecting to happen kind of in this year that you've had
0: Mm, I was I really struggled when the book came out which is uh yeah ups and downs is right I think there are times when you're like this is very exciting and then times when you feel like you should be more excited and you're not when the book came out um it's it was strange for me because the editing process for the book and I'd sent it off and been done with it for the better part of a year do you know so I wasn't thinking about that I was thinking about the deadline for the sequel which was looming and I hadn't had a deadline on the first one so that was a bit frightening and I was very stressed about that and when the book came out I felt like I couldn't say every you know people were being very nice and I felt like I couldn't sort of say like oh, I'm actually a bit stressed I'm not feeling great right now because they're all enthusiastic so then I sort of had to pretend I was enthusiastic and that was sort of tiring and I felt guilty that I wasn't more enthusiastic because you know people would really love to be in the position that I'm in so it all just sort of snowballed and and got a bit much and I had a bit of a freak out about it and I just kind of shut down a bit and you know I wasn't engaging on stuff on social media I had to ask my mum to stop sending me messages from the rest of the family like pictures of them holding the book and stuff because it just made me super anxious whenever I saw one Um, So it was like that my brain was sort of miswired and all this stuff that was supposed to be making me, you know, energised and excited and feel good was making me feel yeah anxious and and Mm -hmm. worried and stressed. Um, But getting the first draft of the book handed in has really helped with that. So I'm just a little bit more, you know, de-stressed and I've been able to enjoy things a little bit more um but I did it's surprising now that I bookshops have become a place of fear in some sense to me because I'm I am well aware that uh I am not Richard Osman I'm not going to be stopped in every bookshop in the country by no means would I expect that I would but every time I go into a bookshop which I really love doing I love bookshops are my happy place you know but I I have to check every time now. And then if I'm not, it's just a little bit disappointing. <laughs> if I'm not in there,
1: you know. You turn around and you go, I'm never coming in here again. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? Do you know who I am? <laughs> I've met Zoe Ball. Yeah, come on. That's not the most authors <laughs> have done. Do you have any advice then for, let's say, the next cohort of debuts, the 2024s, who some of them will be listening now and they're getting a bit sweaty because, you know. Their time is almost <laughs> here. What would your advice be to them if, about kind of, you know, your debut year, publishing? Um, yeah, what what would your advice be? I would say
0: so three key things. First of all, don't compare yourself to anyone else. Everyone has a completely different journey. Uh, everyone has different milestones. Some people will succeed hugely in audiobooks and not physical. Some people will do amazing, you know, on ebooks. Um other people will, you know, get reviews that you don't get, or you will get reviews that they don't get, and you'll get different opportunities. Like everyone's journey is completely different, and you cannot compare yourself to anyone else because there will always be someone doing better than you. So there's no point shifting the goalpost at all. Um, second would be allow yourself to feel whatever you feel, you know, and don't don't. There should be no expectation to be super excited about anything or to be sad about anything or to do things that everyone does you know like I I didn't do an unboxing video for when I got sent my my hardbacks because I just didn't realize what it was I just opened it I I got I this guy turned up and I was like oh weird a huge heavy box from penguin distribution I wonder what this is just opened it and I was like oh well there you go no no (laughs) So I didn't get to film it and put it online and, you know, video of me crying and being emotional, <laughs> you know, like, um, so just, just feel however you feel about stuff and don't force yourself to super enjoy bits or not enjoy a bit. Just, just feel whatever and give yourself a break. Cause it's tough. Um, and the third would be to like, you can say no to stuff, whether that is doing an event that would be a big stress or, um, Going on a panel that you don't feel comfortable doing for whatever reason, or if you don't like the cover design or you don't like the idea for how the publisher is going to pitch some marketing, you can say no and you can push back and you can make it a conversation that you're in control of as well because it's your book, right? Mm-hmm, so that's three pieces of advice. Isn't it?
1: <laughs> I always think as well with that, with the, the saying no or the you know pushing back a little bit you know the worst thing that can happen um and you know there's nothing that's going to be worse than this is that they'll go no you know we're, we're not changing our minds or they're not going to force you to do an event but they might when it comes to like editorial things or marketing things or mm. cover things they may just say no author you know nothing but um you know they're not, <laughs> they're not going to it's not going to be the end of the world you know um yeah. it will just be unfortunately we've decided this um and it does happen it happens to i would say probably 80 to 90% of authors um yeah. and you've just got to decide you know are you willing to have that battle are you just going to go that's fine um sometimes i think as well it's good to come up with an alternative like i remember there was something about my proofs i wasn't 100% oh that was it um i will i'll say this publicly on the proofs they wanted to put the final two sentences of the book on the back cover and oh, I am yeah exactly I am someone who um I think that reading the last chapter of the book or the last page of the book is like the worst crime in the world so I was like can we not I do not want this yeah I feel like it's just wrong um I'm you know it upsets me and then I just came up with an alternative couple yeah. of lines and they were like yeah sure fine we'll change it <laughs> yeah so, you know that was it yeah I think yeah, that is the thing like
0: if you say can we, you know, change this? But so, yeah, the worst thing they can say is no. But it's, I think I feel personally that I feel better being part of that conversation mm. and not just being, you know, a paper boat pushed around by the current.
1: Yeah, and that's
0: funny. A final bit of advice as well is to, if you are a bit uh, trepidatious about pushing back on things or being a bit mean or, or you don't want to seem difficult, get your agent to do it for you because that's what they're there for. Yeah. You pay your agent to be mean on your behalf.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. That was a, a great bit of advice. So, finally, I know there's a sequel in the works. You've already told <laughs> us. Can you? I mean, I don't know. Can you give us any hints without spoiling the first book? I mean, I'm obviously a different different. Yeah. <laughs> give us give us a little tease. Um, so it's the same gang of four: so uh, Claire and Sophie
0: and Basha and Alex, and they decide after the events of the first book they need a break. So Alex Alex books them a holiday on a retreat on an island off the the coast of Ireland uh, that is a haunted, you know, reputationally it's reputedly that's that's the word, isn't it? It's a haunted island where there's maybe some pirate treasure. So Alex is very keen on uh, digging that out, but it turns out they've been double booked with a, another group of, of people, and death and hijinks ensue. <laughs>
1: that sounds so much fun uh that, i mean it just sounds brilliant, a brilliant setup and um what a great gang of four as well and i'm sure anyone who's grave <laughs> expectations will be eager do you know when the next one might be out have they given you a kind of hint uh no
0: i think we would aim for the same time but mm-hmm. next year so maybe may next
1: year yeah but, you know and i mean is it possible that you might be writing another one after this
0: I have ideas but I will write them yeah. as long as they let me but I haven't got a, yeah. another deal yet but
1: fingers but crossed. You've got ideas which is which is yeah. <laughs> <important>. Oh amazing. <laughs> well Alice thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh thank you so much for having me it's been so much fun. That was Alice Bell talking about her crime novel Grave Expectations which is out now and available to buy and if you'd like to support this podcast debut authors and independent bookshops You can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop, hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it would be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time.